Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we save the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those tip questions and supported our channel, I want to try to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So we gather them up here and address them on companion videos. And for those of you who don't know, if you want to get a question in on the John Campus Show or in an upcoming companion video like this one, simply go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Just click on that there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on one of our shows, uh, assuming that, of course, your question is something we consider appropriate for our show. We do reserve the right not to air a question on the show if we don't think it's appropriate. But most importantly, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campia Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, with that down, let's start getting caught up on those questions that you guys have sent in, shall we? We're going to start getting caught up here with a question that isn't appearing on our screen for some reason. Give me a second. I'll get this brought up on screen. Oh, good. We're already starting with technical issues. There we go. All right. We're going to start off here with BH and BH writes, Hey, John, another actor that has transitioned well from doing comedy to drama is Jamie Foxx. That's not a bad example, Jamie Foxx. He's won an Oscar for his portrayal of Ray Charles, which was he was great in Ray. And I've liked him in just about everything else I've seen him in. Uh, thought that I would bring this up since it's been a topic lately. Yeah, so what BH is referring to is, I can't remember what exactly started it, but I think it was sometime last week we got in this conversation about how Jim Carrey and most prominently Tom Hanks. Now, a lot of people forget Tom Hanks was never considered a dramatic actor. He was a yuck, yuck, funny man, stand-up comedian, did all comedies, everything from bosom buddies on TV to all the comedies he did. And it was a complete change of identity for him when he then started doing drama. And of course, the one that really shocked the world was when he did Philadelphia, won him Best Actor at the Academy Awards. And then he won Best Actor at the Academy Awards back to back the very next year. For Forrest Gump, Jim Carrey, again, a guy that you only ever thought is the big comedic clown guy, and he's kind of back to being that, and I like him as that, but, you know, he had a stretch there. You know, it wasn't just Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind either. I mean, he had a bit of a turn where it started to look like he could be like the next Tom Hanks powerhouse dramatic actor. It didn't quite work out that way. And so people have been trying to suggest other actors have done it as well, and I don't think we've had many good examples because, sure, there have been a bunch of people who started out in comedy, but weren't like worldwide forces of comedy for years and years and years like Jim Carrey and Tom Hanks were. The Jamie Foxx example is not a bad one, though, because he really was a very long comedic career. And then all of a sudden he's Ray Charles and wins the Academy Award, deservingly so. That's a good one to bring up. I still wouldn't put it in Tom Hanks category, but that's a good one to bring up, BH. All right, next up. We've got Jonathan, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Jonathan, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Um, who, in your opinion, has the better rogues gallery, Batman or Spider-Man? For me, it's Batman. Both have iconic villains, but I just prefer Batman's villains. Your thoughts and why? Well, look, at, at the risk... Look, no matter what I answer, I'm either going to piss off Marvel fans or DC fans, but Batman has... To me, Batman has the better rogues gallery. And it can kind of be summed up like this. Who has a rogues gallery that I would legitimately be interested in seeing standalone movies for those characters? And that's Batman characters. Obviously, Joker. Like, the world got excited when they announced they were doing a Joker movie. And, of course, Joaquin Phoenix won an Academy Award for it, got nominated for Best Picture of the Academy Awards. But I would propose there are a, probably a few other Batman thing uh, rogues gallery. Could you, I think I would be totally down for a total standalone Bane solo movie. I would be totally down for that. I'd also a really properly done Riddler movie, like the way Riddler is going to be portrayed in the new Robert Pattinson Batman movie. I'd be down for that. A Catwoman movie? Well, they already did a Catwoman movie, but we won't talk about that Halle Berry one. But still, a true Catwoman movie? I just can't think of a lot of, you know, Spider-Man rogues gallery that would do that other than maybe Venom. And of course, we have had a couple of Venom ones. So now listen, I'm not taking anything away from Spider-Man's rogues gallery. Not at all. Not in the least. I'm just saying, I if you're going to put me on the spot and ask me which one I think has the better rogues gallery, I'm going to go Batman. All right. Thanks for asking, Jonathan. Next up, Jonathan also writes, I'm just going to say it. Uh, 
Uh, David Chappelle's The Closer is freaking brilliant. Their jokes are biting, poignant, but most of all, hilarious. The topics are relevant and goes against the grain of what people th- uh, online think. And here's something that's unpopular. The outrage against his special is, in my opinion, unnecessary and absurd. For lack of a better term, I get it. On the surface, the jokes can come off as offensive, but it's all about context. Uh, Taking a man's livelihood is akin to killing him. Chappelle on cancel culture. His last story about Daphne Keene, a trans comedian, was shocking, heartbreaking, and shows why Chappelle is the goat of comedy. Your thoughts on the closer and it looks like he has one more and there it says last thought on the closer i feel uh that special in the topics and issues raised by chapelle uh, is the inconvenient truth most people cannot accept in my opinion it's why some like me will stand by dave and why the majority will always protest him thank you well i think you're completely wrong about that jonathan to be honest with you i think the majority of people do support dave chapelle uh, I know sometimes it's fun to take the minority to to pretend like you're the minority. You're not here. I think most people take Dave Chappelle's position. Look, you've just thrown a hand grenade at me and asked me to comment on it. I will say there's two th- comments I want to make here. Okay, two comments I want to make, and you got to hear them both before getting too excited. Don't you get too excited about the first thing I say because I might turn you off with the second thing I say, and don't get too turned off by the first thing I say because. You might feel differently after the second thing I say. So you got to take it both of them here, okay? My thought number one on the whole Dave Chappelle situation is that I think the creators of South Park put it best once 15 years ago when they said, you either have to be able to laugh at everything or you can't laugh at anything. And I remember when they said that and it really struck me And the more I thought about it over the years, the more and more I agree with it. We have to be able to laugh with each other and laugh at ourselves and allow ourselves to be the butt of the joke sometimes in order for comedy to work. Because I guarantee you, everybody who is offended at David Chappelle's jokes have laughed right along with jokes that have offended other people. So, hey, it's fine when the joke's about somebody else, but not when it's about us. And and everybody's done that. I'm not just, I'm not centering out the trans community here. I think that's, everybody's been like that, right? Oh, yeah, when jokes are about other people, it's super funny. Oh, wait a minute, now you're making a joke about us. That's not funny anymore. I think it's everybody. And again, I, I think um, Stone and uh, Trey, and I forget the other guys, but the, the South Park guys, when they said, they put it best. We can either laugh at everything or we can't laugh at anything. And that's got to be the nature of comedy. And I watched The Closer and I just thought it was funny. And look, what I'm about to say may be be disagreed with completely by some people. But honestly, to me, being able to laugh with another community, like the trans community, to me, does the helps do the very difficult work of normalizing uh, the fact that the trans community needs to be embraced as a part of our overall community and culture. And I feel like when comedians can start laughing at them as well, I think that normalizes the integration of that into the mainstream of our community. I think it's an important thing to growing. I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but honestly, I personally think, and I could be way wrong on this, and I might even have a different opinion six months from now, so don't get all mad at me for this, but I almost feel like Dave Chappelle's comedy about it helps further the work of making um, a environment of better acceptance and everything flourish more. Some people think it's shutting down acceptance. I actually see Dave Chappelle doing comedy about it opening up and doing the work of laying the groundwork for acceptance. Because when we start to laugh along with each other and and we feel comfortable with laughing at and with each other, I feel that normalizes the world more. Um, And again, you may disagree and maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'll have a different opinion six months from now. So for me, yeah, I watched The Closer with my wife, Anne. We laughed a lot. I, I didn't, I mean, I'm not a part of the trans community. So me saying I wasn't offended doesn't really mean much, does it? But 
Um, it's like me being, you know, a straight heterosexual guy. Oh, I wasn't offended by that gay joke. Well, of course you weren't. You're not gay. But all I'm saying is, from my very limited perspective, as a straight white male, uh, listening to those jokes, I just thought they were funny. And to me, I thought they furthered the work of making everything feel more normalized and making everything else a part of one big community. But that's just me. Okay. The second thing I want to say is this. While I personally appreciated Dave Chappelle's comedy, and I think it's good comedy, and I don't agree with the criticism of his comedy, I will also say this. I don't think I or anybody else are in a place or position where we have the right to criticize others for reacting negatively to Dave Chappelle's comedy. Because what I'm seeing online is a bunch of people now getting offended at those who feel offended. And I would just say this. And most of the people on, uh, online that I see attacking the trans community for being upset. And by the way, it's not the entire trans community that is upset at Dave Chappelle. I've read a lot of stuff by me members of the trans community that think Dave Chappelle's stuff was hilarious. That being said, I feel like the majority if not every single critical thing I've heard said about the trans community who are upset at Dave Chappelle saying is all coming from straight white guys or and a number of straight black guys too. But I would say this, we have to keep in mind that this trans community that you and I know very little about, let's be honest, you and I know very little about the closest thing I came to having a real understanding and this is, and it wasn't a real understanding, but the closest I came to having a, a, a decent understanding of trans community, I wasn't even around people in the trans community. It's, I got, I was very lucky for a, a little while when I was at the stream to work a little bit with that, uh, the drag show, Hey Queen, with Johnny McGovern and Lady Red, RIP Lady Red. And let me tell you something. I loved Lady Red. Lady Red had a way of lighting up a room. Whenever we'd showed up in the studio and Lady Red was there, Lady Red would always give some big proclamation. Woo, John Campius in the house. Lady Red always made me feel like a million bucks. Lady Red made me feel like a superstar, right? I was really sad when I found out that Lady Red had passed away. But anyway, but, and that wasn't even the trans community. That was, that was the drag community, which is, a, which is different. And so I have a very, very limited understanding. But... The trans community has been at the receiving end of so much shit for so long. People in the trans community have been on the receiving end of so much bullshit and prejudice and hate and whatever for so long that I think even if you're somebody who more agrees with the comedy of Dave Chappelle, I think you've got to cut that community a little bit of slack when they see stuff that even resembles the type of nonsense and hate and all the garbage that was targeted at them for so long and still continues to this day. You know, I, I am a sucker for on YouTube videos. Every once in a while, I go down these YouTube uh, rabbit holes of rescued dogs. I don't know why. And I always get a little teary-eyed when I see a dog get rescued and now have a happy family life. But on a couple of those, it reminds me of this. Dogs who came out of, like, seriously abusive situations, they're just accustomed to being hit and hit and hit and hit and abused and abused and abused. And what happens when an actual kind, loving person comes into the dog pen with them, every movement that person makes, the dog just assumes is going to be violence against them, right? By the way, I want to fucking murder people who abuse animals. Anyway, um, but you see these, these videos of these dogs who have just become accustomed and used to that people hit them and people abuse them and people target them and, and they just get hit and, and, and abused and made subject to pain and all that kind of stuff all the time. So that even when a well-meaning person comes in and wants to reach out their hand to pet the dog, the dog freaks out and cries because they just assume they're going to get hit. The same is true with people. 
when you're just used to getting abused and the target of others often and again and again and again, you got to cut those people a little bit of slack when something else that even appears like it's targeting them, if they get their back up a little bit, I think you need to cut that community a lot more slack. So do I agree with getting offended at Dave Chappelle? No, I don't. But I'm, I'm not the target of it. So I mean, it's easy for me to say, but you asked me, so I'll tell you, no, I don't, I have no problem with the comedy of Dave Chappelle. I thought it was funny. And I personally think that type of comedy lays the groundwork for normalizing everything and making it a part of one big community. But that being said, I also don't agree with giving those people a hard time for feeling offended because they have received the types of shit that you never have received in your entire life. And they've received it a lot and still do from a lot of areas of our community. So, yeah, I agree that Dave Chappelle's comedy is fine. But I but the problem is feeling that Dave Chappelle's comedy is fine does not give anybody else the right to start attacking and criticizing the trans community for getting their backs up and being upset because that type of targeting, that type of abuse is quite frankly what they've been used to as a community for a long time. So I think everybody just needs to take a deep breath and have a little bit of understanding for each other. That's that's my take on it. I'm 100% sure I just offended everybody. And uh, see this? You know what this is? This is how much shit I give that I just offended you, if you were offended by what I just said. But I think everybody needs to take a deep breath. I think everybody needs to start looking at each other with a little bit more empathy, a little bit more understanding, and try to just get a little bit of a sense of where they're coming from. But everybody wants to be offended. Everybody wants to be upset. Oh, the trans community is criticizing Dave Chappelle. Well, Well, maybe if you looked at them with a little bit more empathy and tried to be a little bit more understanding and tried to put yourselves in their shoes a little bit, maybe you would get where they're coming from. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but maybe you'd get where they're coming from a little bit more. And so anyway, that's my take on that. And uh, I'm sure I just offended everybody, but... Uh, maybe I'll just lose half my subscribers right there, but that's how I feel. And if you agree, great. If you don't fine, but that's my thoughts on it. All right. Thanks a lot for asking Jonathan. Uh, next up. Uh, let's see. Jonathan also writes after the second trailer, Belfast has shot up to my most anticipated movie. You've seen footage at CinemaCon, right? I did. They did show us a bunch of footage from, uh, uh, the upcoming movie Belfast at CinemaCon, uh, your thoughts. And are you excited for Belfast? Well, Here's the thing. So the great Kenneth Brana, who is legendary, and he also directed one of my one of my favorite and second most underrated comic book films of all time, the first Thor movie. He's got this new movie coming out called Belfast, and they did show us a bunch, and I love Kenneth Brana, and they showed us a bunch of footage at CinemaCon. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't love what I saw. They showed us a trailer and they showed us a little bit of footage. I didn't love what I saw. I didn't hate it, but I didn't see the big deal with it. I didn't even, I didn't love the trailer, but I'm hearing it's fantastic. Like I'm hearing it's absolutely spectacular. And so I am excited for it, but oddly enough, it has nothing to do with the marketing of it. It's not the marketing of it that's making me excited. It's the word of mouth that the movies is, is really super good and could be a best picture contender. That's what has me excited. So I can't wait to see it. All right. Thanks for writing in Jonathan. Next up, uh, BH writes, one of two. Hey, John. Uh, I rewatched the Nolan Batman movies this weekend, and after watching both Batman DC fandom panels and reading the comics that inspired the upcoming Batman, I'm starting to feel like the Dark Knight trilogy were Nolan movies with Batman in them. While Matt Reeves' iteration seems to be a true live-action Batman movie. Interested in hearing your thoughts on this. Thanks, and bring on the filthy. Well, BH, honestly, I disagree completely, and here's why. Because over the years, there have been a lot of different writers and artists who have come through and many, many different editors overseeing the Batman titles and stuff like that. And we have had different variations of Batman a lot over the years. And yes, you may find uh, some story runs that makes the Matt Reeves Batman feel really true to the comics. But it's not that it's true to the comics. It's that it feels true to that particular set of Batman comics where others will read other sets of Batman comics and feel like those really do identify more with the Nolan movies. 
And then there are some runs that feel more like they're in line with the Ben Affleck ones of movies. There are Batman runs and storylines where Batman has a hard and fast rule to never kill. But there are Batman comics storylines where Batman very much kills and is totally fine with killing as long as it's in self-defense. And so it really all depends. So sure, I, I personally feel that all the Batman iterations I've seen have all captured elements from the comics, but not all of them. For instance, I can think of a lot of the comic runs where the Bruce Wayne being portrayed in the uh, Matt Ryan Batman doesn't really feel like any of the Bruce Waynes that I've seen in some of the other storylines, but it does with others. So it really all depends. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, when Brian Singer was taking, he was getting ready to release Superman Returns with Brandon Ralph, right? And before it came out, they brought it to, they went to Comic-Con to promote it. And I remember somebody asked Singer, and this was great. Somebody asked Singer, why did you change the Superman costume? Because the Superman costume that Brandon Routh was wearing is a little bit different than what some people imagine the Superman costume looking like. And Brian Singer said a really good answer. He said, well, what do you mean? Changed it from what? There are 27 at the time, at the time. He said, there are 27 different versions of the Superman costume in the comics. 27 different iterations of the Superman costume in the comics. So when you ask me, why did we change it? I have to ask you change from what exactly. And so when you say this Batman feels like the comic book, Batman, I would say to you, which specific Batman comics and from which year and by what writer, because that could fit with a lot of different Batman iterations. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think it's a bigger issue than just, than just that one. Anyway, good observation there. Uh, BH. Thanks for writing that in next up. Rhett Proctor writes, Hey, John and Rob, obviously Rob's not here right now. Uh, what really got me to be the big Marvel fan I am today is the nineties X-Men cartoon. Anyway, should I just sing the entire thing? Anyway, uh, 90s X-Men cartoon and also the Spider-Man cartoon. Both were really important to my childhood. I am glad both shows are on Disney Plus so I can rewatch them now. You know what? I, I That reminds me, I got to get over to Disney Plus and rewatch those old X-Men ones. Uh, those are pretty cool. I, I did like those. Those those were great. Jubilee and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, thanks for reminding me of that, Rhett. Jonathan writes, hey, uh, can they just release Death on the Nile to streaming with no fanfare and just take the loss? It's the only outcome I can see at this point. If not, no one will ever see that movie then, unless they reshoot scenes with Hammer. So for those of you who don't know what Jonathan is talking about, there is, speaking of Kenneth Branagh, uh, a movie that was finished shooting a long time ago called Death on the Nile. It's the follow-up to Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, also starring Kenneth Branagh and directed by Kenneth Branagh. So this is the sequel to that with a whole new cast of characters, except for Kenneth Branagh's character. And I always mispronounce it to say uh, Hercule Poirot. I th I'm sure I'm mispronouncing the character's name, but um, that's the main character, the detective who's got to solve the crime. The problem is after the film was done shooting, all the stuff about Army Hammer came out. And it's not just the jokes about cannibalism. That's uh, a lot of other really serious stuff. Now, nothing's been proven. Nothing's been, no one's been found guilty of a, in a court of law right now. But I think Disney, who now owns Fox, and it was a Fox movie at the time. I think Disney is waiting on getting more information and finding out how this whole Army Hammer thing's going to turn out. Because honestly, I think they only have two options. I really do. If more gets uncovered and some official police reports come in and a final investigation findings come in, whatever. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Army hammer did all these things. They're saying he did. And we're not here to go into those things. I'm not TMZ, but if they do come back and kind of feel that, yep, that's what happened. The things he's being accused of, these are things he did. Then Disney has two options and only two options. Option number one, is to spend the ungodly amount of money that they're going to need to spend to go in and reshoot all the scenes 
that did have Army Hammer in them. Only this is going to be a lot more complicated than the time they did that with Christopher Plummer uh, when he replaced the other actor because that was a smaller role. From all the reports I'm hearing, Army Hammer is kind of the male lead of this movie, that he's the male lead of this movie and uh, Gal Gadot is the female lead of the movie. So that means a lot of stuff's going to have to be reshot. It means not only do you have to reshoot his stuff, you got to bring in everybody that he had scenes with in that movie, including Gal Gadot. You got to bring them in too. You got to find time around their schedule to bring them in. That means you got to pay them more money. It's going to be super, super expensive. But that's option number one. If they find out that all the stuff about Army Hammer's true, option number one is they reshoot everything with Army Hammer's character with another actor. Maybe they go and get Ryan Gosling or maybe they go and get, I don't know who. The only other option is to burn it. That's it. I, I, I do not think just putting it out on Disney with no fan on Disney plus with no fanfare is an option to them because they know they will receive so much backlash over it, like far more than it's worth. So they either got to spend an ungodly amount of money to reshoot all the stuff with Army Hammer in it, or they just got to bite the bullet, take the loss, and burn the film. I honestly think those are the only two options. Now, that's, of course, assuming that, you know, all the allegations were true. I mean, it's, there are other op- options here, right? Like, maybe it comes out that says, you know, most of the stuff that was said about him t- turns out wasn't true. But I have to deal with that. But if it turns out it's true, I only see those as the only two options. Either burn the film entirely and just take the loss, or you got to reshoot all the stuff at huge, huge expense. All right. Next up, uh, Mark Nito writes, Hey, John and crew. I recently heard that Morgan Freeman's production company has purchased the right to Brian Lumley's novel Necroscope. I love the books and I'm looking forward to seeing adaptations accordingly. I'm going to be straight up with you. I've never even heard of Necroscope. That's something of the dead. I know that's what necro is. So dead scope. I don't know what that means. But listen, uh, I'm always interested in new production companies, whether they're run by celebrities or not picking up stuff. And if this is a book that you know and love, awesome. Maybe we'll see it come to fruition. But thank you. Now it's on my radar for the first time ever. So now the next time somebody brings up Necroscope, Mark, I will now remember and I'll be able to say, ah, somebody else wrote in about this. So thank you for putting that on my radar, man. All right, next up. We've got Alan who writes, Hey, John, sorry if this starts a rant. I'll try not to let it. Why is everybody up in arms about eternal eternal spoiler tweets when the character is not in the movie you came to the theater to watch? If so, it doesn't give away specific story details, main villain, third act, etc. Because it was specifically put, the stuff you're talking about was specifically put in as a surprise for the audience to deliver, like, because when I was in the theater, Right, And I was one of the first people on the planet to see this movie. When I was in the theater and you know the, the trailers are playing, then the screen goes dark and, and the post credit scene starts, when the thing happens, the whole audience had this big, huge excitement surprise because it surprised everybody. Yeah, it wasn't one of the main plot details of the movie or anything, but it was a specific experience that was designed for the audience to have. And when that gets spoiled, you steal that experience from people. Because it was specifically designed for that. It was designed to be a big surprise experience. And when you're a low-life fucking loser and you decide to disseminate spoilers around just for the fun of it because you can't ever get a girl and a girl never will touch you as long as you live... It what you're doing is you're stealing that experience from people to have later. Now they're not going to have that experience when that happens in the movie. So yeah, again, I'm not a person who cares too terribly much about spoilers myself, but I respect that other people want to have that experience. And when you steal that experience from somebody, you're a fucking idiot and you're a fucking loser. So yeah, anyway, there's that. All right, next up. Anyway, it's a fair question to ask, but that's why. You're right. It's not a part of the main thing, but it is a specifically designed element in the movie meant to deliver a big surprise experience to delight the audience. And when it gets spoiled for them, you steal that experience away. And it's too bad because in the, the I've seen the movie twice and both times the audience was just loved it. The audience was like surprised and shocked and laughing and cheering. And it's just, and you've now taken that away from somebody if that gets spoiled for them. So that's how I would answer that, Alan. Thanks for writing that in, dude. All right. Brazilian dude writes one of two. John. 
Do you believe that one of the reasons that Warner Brothers will greenlight the Dune sequel, and they and they have greenlight the Dune sequel, uh, is because of Nolan's departure? No. Uh, does Warner Brothers see Denis as the next visionary director that will make Nolan-type successes for them in the future? Uh, problem is that Denis... Uh, still lacks a legit box office hit. Uh, however, he is hugely talented and his brand is getting stronger. Perhaps Warner Brothers will feel compelled to stay in the Denis business, even if not financially attractive now, in the hope that it will soon fill Nolan's void. No. Uh, I think it's more about the IP. Look, right now, I mean, of course they want to be, they want all the big filmmakers to want to work with them. Right? Every studio wants the big filmmakers and the big actors and the big producers to want to work with them. That being said, Hollywood all right now is all about IP. It's all about IP and franchises. And if you don't have the franchises, you want to get a new franchise going and stuff like that. Dune is something they don't just have plans for for a single movie. They're playing HBO series and future movies and all that kind of stuff all built around the Dune IP. So that's really the core of it. Now, look, I've been telling you guys for a while, don't worry, Dune 2 is going to get greenlit because even if Warner Brothers doesn't right now, uh, once Zaslav and Discovery take over Warner Brothers, they will greenlight it. It was going to come. It, that was a non-issue at this point. It was going to come. The word did get dropped earlier today that Dune 2 got greenlit, which again, we, we all knew was going to happen, either before Zaslav and Discovery take over or once they take over. Um, but a few questions, I've got a few questions about it that we'll talk about on tomorrow's show. So I'll I'll just save that till then. Uh, but yes, I think, so I don't, while they definitely do want to work with the best filmmakers and that includes Denis Villeneuve, I personally think it's more about the IP of Dune and getting the next big franchise potential going. So that's what I think it's more about. Anyway, great question, Brazilian dude. Next up, we got the Bessie Nessie who writes, This might be a stupid question. No such thing as stupid questions, Bessie. Uh, But I've always been curious. How do movie studios come up with box office opening predictions, projections before the movie is out? That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, There are a number of analytics they go to. Uh, They measure. It's a whole bunch of thing of measuring social media responses, uh, doing a lot of stuff, like putting out... uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's not polls, but doing case studies and research, stuff like that. And basically, when they measure all that crap, they come up with what they believe is a reliable projection. And what is shocking to me is how often they are bang on the money. Like bang on the money. Now, listen, box office projections in this COVID recovery era right now have kind of been all over the place. But under normal circumstances, like you go back to 2019, the very beginning of 2020, um, box office predictions are scary accurate. Like the amount of time, I think it's like 98% of the time, box office predictions came within $10 million. I mean, it's nuts. And sometimes much smaller than that. It's sometimes like bang on the money exact. A lot of times within $5 million. Like they predict $135 million opening. It's probably going to be somewhere between 130 and 140 million dollar opening. It is frightening how often they're dead accurate. There's still three, four percent of the time where they'll actually end up being off by 50 million or whatever. But it is scary how accurate they are, and so they've got this down to a science. So they they spend a lot of money and put a lot of man hours and a lot of resources into doing that study and to figure out what they think a movie could make, and that's a big part of it. But it's a great question, Bessie. It's an excellent question. All right, next up. Tyson's Chicken writes, Hey guys, The Hollywood Reporter just dropped that Brendan Fraser is set to star as Firefly in Batgirl. Yeah, we talked about that this morning on the John Campia show. I've always been a huge fan of his since Encino Man and have loved his recent return to Hollywood. What are your thoughts and thanks? Bring on the filthy. Well, I would encourage you to go back onto the YouTube channel. You can watch our video on that earlier today. But just to sum up, I've loved Brendan Fraser ever since George of the Jungle. When him and Leslie Mann were in that, I think, did John Cleese... Did John Cleese not do the voice of uh, an ape named Ape? I think that was the one that John Cleese did the voice. Anyway, uh, I've loved him ever since then. That with honors, like Encino Man, obviously. Um, So yeah, 
uh, I think it's great, and it's good to see him back, and he's got a lot of big projects lined up already. This Batgirl thing is just the latest. He's in a Scorsese project. He's in a Soderbergh project. He's in an Aronofsky project right now. The dude's on a roll. We're in the Frasiasance. The Maconasance was a few years ago. We are now in the Frasiasance, so we'll see how that all works out for him. All right, next up, Jonathan writes. Uh, Jonathan May writes, one of three. How important is SEO for a new... Uh, upstart YouTuber. On my new channel, it seems like the videos that had been CEO'd perform better, but I'm not sure if it's actually bringing in uh, organic traffic or not. Uh, I really enjoyed, by the way, I really enjoyed your tech episode. I've been using Zoom for my YouTube channel and I'm thinking about making the leap to OBS. I do encourage learning OBS. It's a great free tool to use. Uh, how famous do I have to become on YouTube to have you as a guest on my show? All right, well, let's let's start uh, with that one, I generally do not guest on other people's shows. And the, there's two reasons for that. Uh, number one is I just don't have the time. I mean, I, I am running myself ragged just trying to keep up with my own stuff. So I generally do not appear on other people's shows as guests. I, I get invited to, uh, daily uh, when people send me asking me to be on their podcasts or things. And, and I, I just don't have the time. The second part is this is that I really feel like I need to say no to just about everybody because if I start doing a couple, then people I don't say yes to may get offended. Whereas when I say no, I don't do that at all. Then, then it's never offensive. Now, look, obviously if uh, there are people who are friends of mine and people I know that I might, but even them I've said no to, but there may be times where I will say yes because they're people I know, like they're friends of mine, they're, they're associates of mine, whatever. But uh, generally speaking, I don't do guest spots on other, uh, on other stuff. Not because Campion thinks he's too good for them. No, it's I would love to. I would love to attract new audiences. I would love to go out there and spread my brand around. I would love to do that. I just don't have the time. I just do not have the time. Um, so there's that. Um, now, as far as SEO, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't do any SEO on my YouTube stuff. I don't even put in keywords. You know, in, in YouTube, you can. there's a part where you fill in keywords and stuff like that. I, 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 I just leave it blank. I think I have one default keyword, which is John Campia. I think that's it. One default key phrase, John Campia. That's it. I think that's the only search term in my stuff. You know what? Ray, because Ray, Ray is the one who posts the individual segments. Ray might put in keywords. He might put some in, but, but I just don't, I really don't. So, um, that might have something to do with the fact that I am no SEO expert. I never have been. Mm. I just make my content, make it as good as I can and then hope that it works. <laughs> I mean, that's really me. So I am the wrong guy to ask when it comes to SEO. Look, honestly, and this is straight up truth, forget SEO. SEO is looking for a magic bullet that's magically going to make your YouTube channel popular. Focus on your content. And if you think your content is great, it's probably not. Focus on your content. Make your content better. There's no point. Here's the thing. There is no point in having great SEO and then getting your you know, one of your videos to pop up in some search and somebody randomly clicks on it. If that person comes to your channel, you got one shot. To make you, what do they say? You only get one chance to make a good first impression. You got one shot. And if your content isn't great, then they're never going to come back to your channel again. And you just blew your load. You blew your load and you blew your shot. So don't worry about SEO. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Focus on nothing but content. Content, con how do I get better? How can I make my presentation better? How can I increase my knowledge? How can I make the videos that people come here to watch a better experience for them as an audience so that when they do stumble across your channel, They'll like what they saw and they want to come back again. Focus on that stuff. That's my number one thing because I really don't know much else about SEO. I really don't. Good content should be your SEO. Good content should be your SEO on YouTube. That's that's my opinion at any rate. Thanks, Ryan. That is Jonathan. I hope that's helpful, dude. All right. Uh, next up, Cody Hunt Films writes, after the music of John Williams' symphony, symphony that I intended, I finally got around to watching Schindler's List. Wow. And then watched Mississippi Burning. That's a heavy one-two punch, um, which I also never saw. And man, what a hell of a double feature, man. LOL. Sometimes you just need a good cry. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Schindler's List is a movie I can never watch again. It's awesome. 
It's every film fan should watch Schindler's List at least once. But it's so effective in delivering the emotional punch, I can't take it again. Like, it's so good, I can't take it again. I, I don't think I can, I'll ever watch Schindler's List again, but I think everybody should watch it at least once. Mississippi Burning is just an incredible thing. Willem Dafoe, Gene Hackman. Oh my God, that movie. And uh, I, look, nobody's going to like me saying this, but man, I watched that movie and it doesn't feel too unsimilar to certain segments of the society we have right now. And that's a scary thought, but it is a powerful, brilliant, outrageously fantastic movie. Uh, watch both of them for sure. And I'm glad you had a chance to watch this, Cody Hunt. All right, next up, uh, Ash M. writes, Hey, John, because of Rob's recommendation, I tried Zevia's ginger root beer, and my husband and I love it. My local grocery store recently started carrying all of Zevia's flavors. Looking forward to trying them all. I love that they are a healthy soda. Yeah, listen, I, I mean, do I have a can over here? I don't have a can right now. I, I got some Zevia in my, in my cup right now. Um, I've told this story before. I'll say it again. I used to drink two, two, two-liter bottles of Coke a day. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not lying. Um, when I, because when I sit and work, I'm just constantly drinking when I'm sitting and working. Right. And I don't drink alcohol. So I got to drink soda. So I'm just constantly drinking. Right. Then I realized, oh my God, how many calories are in soda. So I switched to diet soda. So I went from drinking two, two liter bottles of Coca-Cola a day to two, two liter bottles of diet Pepsi a day. I was consuming way less calories, but then I found out about all the harmful shit that's in the artificial sweeteners. So I was looking for an alternative um, drink. I, I drink my eight cups of water a day. I do. But when I'm drinking water, I don't trick my brain into feel like I'm snacking. Because for me, when I'm drinking soda, I actually, my brain, I trick my brain into feel like I'm snacking. So it prevents me from just grabbing bags of chips or whatever, right? But I needed something that was better. And I had, then I had, uh, it recommended to me, Zevia Cola, which doesn't use any artificial sweeteners. Uh, and it's still zero calorie. And it was a little bit of an acquired taste at first, but now I love it. And uh, I'm glad you like it too, Ash. I, and I, I turned Rob onto it as well. Now he's on the Zevia kick as well. So I'm glad you found it. See Zevia Cola? Sponsor me, you cheap sons of bitches. I am the one evangelizing your product more than anybody else on this planet. So anyway, there you go. All right, thanks for that, Ash. Next up, we got Luke1234 who writes, is there a specific time of day or even a day of the week that you prefer to go to the movies? Additionally, is there a weather preference you have? Maybe going to the theaters when it's raining or snowing when you lived in Canada. Um, you know what? That's a really good question. To the time of day, I mean, I think I'm like most people. I prefer going to the movie at night. Whenever I go to a matinee, I mean, it's still the same movie and it's still the same movie experience, but I have this weird feeling coming out of a movie and it's still daylight outside that feels weird to me because I'm just used to coming out of a movie theater and it being dark. But um, it doesn't really affect my experience of the movie. So I, I generally like going to evening shows, but I've gone to a lot of matinees. Weather, no, but I will say this. On bad weather days, I do think to myself, ah, today would be a good day to be in a movie theater. Some people think today's a good day to stay at home. I think today's a good day to be in a movie theater. But honestly, generally, no, I'm, I'm pretty much get me into a movie theater any time of day in any weather condition, and I'm good. True story. Um, what was the name of the movie? Project X, where the, the kids throw the party. Hold on a second. Uh, let me just look at a Project X. I think that was the name of the movie. Yeah, 2012 movie, Project X. Let's see if I can get it down here on the screen. So Project X. So back in 2012, uh, Ann and I were in Nashville visiting my buddy Jeff. My buddy Jeff runs this big uh, concert lighting design company. Basically what he does is when these the biggest music acts in the world are going on tour, they hire Jeff's company to design their lighting their, their uh, light show and everything. And then he rents them the gear. He puts together a big package for them, designs their light show. And then he goes on tour, sends some of his staff on tour with that thing to set up the lights and run the light show for their big concerts. That's what my buddy Jeff does. And I mean, it, it's, it's inspirational him and another friend of mine, Tran, uh, they started off with like owning eight park hand lights. And now Jeff owns like this puts on these multi million dollar shows. Anyway, um, he now lives in Nashville, 
runs his own big company there, which is great. And Ann and I went down to Nashville to visit him and his wonderful wife and his beautiful daughters. And we went to the movie theater to go see Project X. We were all just in the mood for the movie. We want to go see Project X. I think I remember it being pretty funny. So we went to go see it. And this is how it relates to your question, talking about going in weather. We came out of the movie theater, like we came out of the theater, and then we, just as we stepped out of the building, we looked up and realized the sky was like a dark green. And then the air horn sirens started going off. You know those... Like air, like the nuclear war is about to break. These air sirens started going off across the city, and we were like, tornadoes. You just look at the sky. We just knew tornadoes. So sure enough, I think they said like 17 tornadoes touched down in and around Nashville. So we had to rush back to my buddy Jeff's house, go down into his basement. And he had like a really good basement set up. So a bunch of the neighbors, came, a bunch of his neighbors came over too. And we were all huddled down in the basement, waiting out the tornadoes. Crazy, crazy, move, craziest movie going experience for me ever. So that's my little thing about weather and movies. Not that you were asking about tornadoes. Okay, sorry. Uh, next up, Dr. Nova writes, Hey, John. This is the exact law for Australia. The weapons master is required to be on set whenever a, whenever a weapon is being used. It is illegal to not have one. Also, fake guns and real guns are treated the same if they look real. Yeah, I've heard from some other places in the world that that's a law, and that should probably be a law here. But honestly, I think a more important law, we talked about it on the John Campus show earlier today, uh, the TV show The Rookie, the Nathan Fillion show The Rookie, they have just implemented new policy, no real guns. That's it. We're not going to use real guns at all. Now, most of their shots, they didn't use real guns anyway. They always put in muzzle flashes and stuff like that in post-production anyway. But there's just no need to have real guns anymore. There's no need. It is an unnecessary risk. There are lots of risks on a movie set. But this one's unnecessary. There's no need to have real guns on. Get rid of them. They don't need to be there. What are they called? The ones that they use now, airsoft guns, where they 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 discharge an air thing that causes a bit of recoil to give a natural-looking recoil, and then they just add muzzle flash and a little bit of smoke in post-production. That's really simple and cheap to do, and it's just the easiest thing in the world. So I hope that's a changer. Thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for sharing that information there, Doctor Nova. Appreciate it. Fanimator writes, I just showed a friend Star Wars Episode Four. That's the main Star Wars. That's Star Wars for everybody who knows. That's a New Hope. Uh, five is tomorrow. That's Empire Strikes Back. However, I was planning on showing him six, Return of the Jedi, my favorite Star Wars movie, after five, but then another friend accidentally spoiled the Luke-Leia relationship. Now I might go one through three before six. For newcomers, what is the best Star Wars watch order? Listen, I've seen a lot of my fellow Star Wars fans over the years pitching their own, here's the the whatever watch order. Now here's the so-and-so watch order. Oh, if you're going to watch Star Wars, you got to watch it in the blank order. Listen, the best way to watch Star Wars is to watch it in the order in which they released. That's, that's the way the rest of us experienced it. That was the best, most effective experience. Watch the Star Wars films in the order they were released. You start with the original Grand Trilogy. Those were the only movies we had for a long time, and they were the greatest movies ever made. So you start with New Hope, Empire, Return of the Jedi. Then you skip the, the prequels. <laughs> I recommend just skip the prequels. But if you don't, then you do the original trilogy. Then you do the prequels in order. Then you do The Force Awakens. Uh, then uh, did Rogue One come out before? I think Rogue One came out before uh, The Last Jedi. I can't remember. But anyway, you just do them in order. Do them in the order in which they were released. To me, that is always the best way to do it. Uh, anyway, hope that helps there, Fanimator. All right, next up. Crashing Coyote writes, John, go watch Heels with your wife. I, I'm gonna. That's the Stephen Amell show. I am going to watch it. I haven't had a chance yet. I don't even know where it is right now, but I, I will watch it at some point because of Stephen Amell. Um, it's my favorite show of the year, and it has 90, a 96 critic rating and a 94 audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's only eight episodes. Ludwig, he was in Vikings. Uh, Stephen Amell, CM Punk, Mick Foley, and the rest of the cast are great. I was blown away. I really think it will get Emmy noms. Uh, again, 
it's Stephen Amell's show, so I will check it out. I don't even know right now which network it's on, to be honest with you, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I am absolutely planning on checking it out, Crashing Cody. I totally will. All right. Andrew writes, John, Greta Gerwig is directing a Barbie movie written by Noah uh, Baumbach. Yep, we've known about this for a while. Starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. We've known about Margot Robbie being in it for a long time, but Ryan Gosling is a recent addition as Barbie and Ken. Shockingly, I'm actually excited for a Barbie movie. What are your thoughts on Ryan's casting and the project as a whole? Well, I mean, Ryan Gosling, by the way, good Canadian kid, fantastic actor. Put him in anything. He'll do a great job. I'll be honest with you. I was actually more interested. Let me look. I forget the, I forget her name. Hold on a second. Uh, I forget her name right now. What's her name? Uh, the star of train wreck. Why am I forgetting her name? I shouldn't be forgetting her name. The star of train wreck. Her name is, I got, uh, I should know this name off the top of my head, but I don't. Amy Schumer, Amy Schumer. Okay. So, some of you may not remember this or know this. By the way, I love, I thought Trainwreck was great. Her and Bill Hader had terrific chemistry in that. I actually thought, and I'm not a huge Amy Schumer fan, but I loved her and Trainwreck. I love that movie. Anyway, a number of years ago, and many of you may forget this, when they first announced that there was going to be a Barbie movie, it was actually going to star Amy Schumer. And you might think, well, that's an odd choice for Barbie. But see, to me, that's what was interesting about it. They were going to do like when a Barbie doesn't have the traditional Barbie appearance. And what would that make life like for them? And honestly, for me, I thought that was a really interesting take. I thought that was a really interesting idea to turn a lot of, you know, preconceived notions and concepts up on their head. I thought that could have been really cool. Now, eventually that project fell apart and it's not happening. And then later on, we found out Margot Robbie, who is as Barbie as Barbie gets. And don't get, I don't mean that in a negative way. I love Margot Robbie, uh, both as an actress and everything else, but she's fantastic. So, and I'm not going to lie. I became a little less interested in it at that point, but still you got some great talent, both behind the camera and in front of the camera, especially with the addition of uh, Ryan Gosling as well. That is absolutely Hollywood's Ken and Barbie right there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But I, I'm not going to lie. I was actually more interested a number of years ago when it was that different concept. But we'll see how it turns out. They've got great people involved. All right, next up, Crashing Coyote writes, I've watched your show for a few years now. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and recently I've been going through a lot. So thanks for everything you do. The show gets me through tough times. P.S. If you can guess what my name is in reference to, I'll give you bonus points. Hint, Roadrunner. Well, I mean, that's what I was thinking about with Coyote, like Wiley Coyote. Is it crashing Coyote because he's always crashing into things? I'm not sure. Anyway, crashing, listen, it is an honor for me to be a part of a film fan community that gets to be there for each other. There is nothing like, I know I've said this a million times, when I am facing challenging times in my life, there is nothing like just watching a movie. Not just as an escape, but I find watching a movie sparks my imagination. It kind of makes me see my world a little bit differently. It gives me new perspective on things. And when I come out of the movie or when I come out of conversations about movies with my friends, it's not that my problems have disappeared. <clears throat> But I often feel like I have a new, fresh perspective on my problems, or my mind is a little bit now more refreshed and, and uh, rejuvenated after letting my imagination play in a movie. And maybe I come out feeling a little bit more equipped to deal with my problems coming out, whatever, or maybe just a little bit of a change of per perception and perspective. Watching movies, talking about movies with my fellow film fans have always done that for me. And I think it's awesome when it gets to do that for other members of our fan community as well. So thanks a lot for sharing that, Crashing. I appreciate that. All right, next up, BK Dan writes, one of two. John, I saw Dune, and I must say, not my favorite adaptation. It was too much like the 84 adaptation, in my opinion. I think you are fucking out of your mind, my film-loving brother. I didn't think that is anything like the 84 adaptation. I think you're crazy. But hey, it's all about our individual perceptions, brother. All right. It was too much like the 84 adaptation, in my opinion. I understand in order to stay anywhere true, certain things need to stay the same. Uh, take it from somebody who read the first book long before the 84 movie. <clears throat> uh, that was... 
what this movie did was not that much besides a remake. Completely disagree. Instead of another adaptation of the book, I guess I was looking at a fresh retake of the IP. Take it from me, folks. This is what you get when you let uh, speculation turn into expectation, a letdown. Well, again, BK, look, it's, it's all different perspectives. You had your experience with it. I respect that. And you're not alone. I think the movie is a masterpiece. I think it's brilliant. I don't think an adapt. First of all, this is nothing like, I mean, sure, it's based on the same story. So you're going to get those story beats. But other than that, this is such a radically different experience than the 84 one, like a radically different experience on every level. And I just think the movie's, I, I don't think it's possible to make Dune better than this. I'm not saying there aren't better movies. I'm just saying I don't think you can possibly make Dune better than what Denis Villeneuve just did. But that's just my that's just my take on it. That's just me. All right, next up. Uh, B. Kadan also writes, John, regarding Dune, do you feel or know if they, Warner Brothers, is going to add some of the Children of Dune arc? Listen, as far as I know, what they want to do is they want to do a whole franchise of this. They're, we already know they're doing the HBO Max uh uh, Benny Jesuit sisterhood thing. So that's happening. They want this thing to be an eight, nine, 10 movie franchise with three or four HBO series. That's what they want to do. So eventually that will be on their blueprints for sure. All right. Next up. Shy Mizrahi writes, hello, John and co. I watched Dune and I loved it. However, the chemistry between Rebecca and Timothy Chalamet felt a little too good and even a little yucky. Did you mean yucky? I had to check on IMDb. Their, their age difference is only 12 years. Is it just me or am I crazy? Um, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I never felt that myself. I never thought anything between them felt like slightly i always felt it was a very paternal relationship i never at all sensed anything mildly um uh erotic or romantic what's what's the what is it that that complex a shakespearean reference to the complex of a dude who wants to be, is an oedipus i'm probably saying it wrong that an oedipus complex is that what it's called i can't remember but anyway i never got that sense myself but yes, she Rebecca was a little bit young. Rebecca Ferguson is a little bit young to be play, playing Timothy Chalamet's son, but or is Timothy Chalamet's mom. But remember, Timothy is playing younger. I think he's supposed to be like 19 or 20 in that. So I mean, so really, I think in the movie, she's supposed to be 18, 19, or 20 years older than him. And I think that's how it's supposed to play. Even though in real life, they're actually closer in age than that. But I didn't feel that. But now you're going to make me feel yakky. When I watch it again, so I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that next time, Shy. All right, next up. Uh, Film Boss writes, one of two. A viewer recently brought up Jason Patrick. Yes. Uh, he was recently on Michael Rosenbaum's Inside of You podcast with Keith Sutherland. Really, I didn't know that. Uh, Patrick is the son of Jason Miller, the Pulitzer Prize winning author of that championship season. And more legendary, he was a, he was the psychiatrist slash priest who assists Max von Sydow's titular character in The Exorcist, garnering him an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Not bad pedigree. Yeah, so for those of you who missed it, what Film Boss is talking about is somebody wrote in the other day asking about whatever happened to Jason Patrick, man. And uh, he's still doing stuff, but he is nowhere near, you know, he doesn't any near have the same prestige that he used to have in his career. And I don't know why, but listen, with all the good stuff that Jason Patrick has done, I will always think of him in my favorite vampire movie, The Lost Boys, which he did with Keith or Sutherland. Good Canadian kid, by the way. Um, so... Yeah, that's a good little bit of background information on that too, Film Boss. Thanks for bringing that up, man. All right, next up, Major Tom writes, Hey, John, I saw Dune over the weekend. As someone who loved the 1984 film, uh, Denis Villeneuve's version was brilliantly done. This movie has cemented Denis Villeneuve as my favorite director. I think Dune is my favorite movie of the year so far. I mean, yeah, I'm here for a lot of people that are, some saying it's their like, favorite movie of the year. Some saying are their favorite movie of the last number of years. We had somebody write in earlier today says now their favorite movie of all time. It's not my favorite movie of all time, but I really did love it a lot. I think it's great. So I'm glad you had that experience with the major Tom. Now I am somebody who does not love the 1984 version to be honest with you, but I'm glad you do. And I'm glad you had a good experience with this version, man. Thanks for sharing. All right. Shackle money writes one of two. Hi, John. I saw Dune and I liked it, but I have two problems with the movie. Number one, 
I was unable to connect with any of the main characters. I honestly did not care about Paul or Jessica. I really did. Um, two, although the photography and music are amazing in the film, uh, Danny Villeneuve has a recurring problem in his films that I feel he puts in very dramatic music in such non-dramatic moments. Huh. Did you feel that way too? Thank you so much watching your show for years. Well, thank you, Shekel Money, for watching for show so long. And you got one of the more unique usernames we've ever had on the channel. Um, do I feel like they had overly dramatic music for moments that didn't call for it? You know, I've seen the movie twice now. And to be honest, I never noticed that myself. But that might just because might, that might just be because the music just bleeds into the background, right? And morphs into the background, which is a lot of times what a soundtrack should do. So I didn't really notice it. But the next time I watch it, which is going to be in the next day or two, I will try to keep more of an eye open for that to see if I, I've, I've never noticed that shackle and you're the first person I've heard mention it. So, but I will keep, that's an interesting observation, dude. So I will keep my eyes open for that next time. All right, next up. And this is our final question of the evening guys comes to us from Windsor. Canada is home rights. The biggest mistake that Warner Brothers slash DC made was not following Marvel's formula of standalone movies followed by the Justice League. Incorrect. Uh, one of the reasons why Marvel has been so successful is because their movies flow in perfect harmony. Incorrect. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but no Man of Steel too. Okay, so... First of all, I love Windsor. Me and my friends who drive up there every once in a while. I love Windsor. Good university town, too, and everything. Great place to be. Um, that being said, I hear a lot of film fans erroneously say, well, the big problem with DC is that they didn't follow the Marvel formula of solo film, solo film, solo film, then team up. Wrong. Wrong. You know what the difference is? What was the first MCU film? I mean, I mean, true, truly the first MCU film was really Iron Man. People loved Iron Man. They loved that movie. They loved it. The audiences went crazy for it. The critics went crazy for it. For a comic book movie at that time, big hit. People loved Iron Man. What was the first DCEU movie? Man of Steel, starring this guy. My all-time favorite Superman, Henry Cavill, overlooking and protecting the studio as we do our show. You know me. I think Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is the single most underrated comic book movie of all time. And the reason I say it's underrated is because the audiences did not love it. I did. I know the light. I've come to Jesus. I know how great Man of Steel is. But the reality is the vast majority of the people did not agree. People did not love Man of Steel, at least not in sufficient numbers. The critics didn't love Man of Steel. Some did, but not in sufficient numbers. That's the difference. It's not formula. It's not, did you do solo film, solo film, solo film? No, 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 no. Marvel put out a movie and people went bananas for it. They loved it. They put out a great, entertaining <clears throat> A crowd-pleasing, audience-pleasing, critic-pleasing, box-office-pleasing movie that everybody loved and winning cures everything. And DC didn't. I did. I loved it. But too few people in the audience responded to it. And too few people, too few critics responded to it. And that's the difference. It's that one started really strong and one didn't. I think it did, but, you know, the audience had different... I mean, to this day, I can't mention that I love Man of Steel without getting 15 comments put in there. Man of Steel sucks! And I respect that. You know, if you don't like Man of Steel, it's all subjective. I get it. It's fine. But it's not formula. Look, I'll say it, said it before and I'll say it again. And people say, well, John, that's different. No, it's not. Here's the thing. Guardians of the Galaxy was a huge hit. People loved it. You didn't need a Drax the Destroyer solo movie followed by a Groot solo movie followed by a Gamora solo movie followed by a, a Rocket Raccoon solo movie followed by a Peter Quill solo movie and then they all meet in a post credit scene in the Peter Quill solo movie and then you did Guardians of the Galaxy. Nope. Guess what they just did? Here's Guardians of the Galaxy. Here's all the characters. Go. And they just made it. They didn't need individual films. They didn't need to build up to it. It was like, here's Guardians of the Galaxy. Then why did it work? 
Well, one, because there was already a fully running MCU. That's definitely a part of it. But it worked because the audiences loved it. They loved the characters. They loved the writing. They loved the action in it. They loved the chemistry between the characters. They loved the story. They, they you know, hated the villain. And, and it worked. You know, Eternals... They don't need a Gilgamesh solo story, followed by Athena solo story, followed by a Kingo solo, uh, solo story, followed by an Icarus solo story, followed by a Cersei solo story, and then you do Eternals. No, they're just doing Eternals. Not everybody loves Eternals. I, I think Eternals is a great movie. Not as good as Shang-Chi, but I think it's a great movie. So, no, I, I wholeheartedly, 100% disagree that the difference between Marvel and DC is that DC did the formula of solo movie, solo movie, solo movie, solo movie, then team up movie. That had nothing to do with it. It's all about that Marvel put out a movie and everybody loved it and DC put out a movie and people didn't. And Marvel continued to put out movies that everybody loved, the audiences and the critics loved and adored and flocked to and celebrated and blah, blah, and DC didn't. I mean, I like, you can go back and watch my individual uh, film reviews other than Harley Quinn's Birds of Prey movie, Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, other than that, I believe I have given positive reviews to every single DCU movie. They've all worked for me, other than that one. Other than the Harley Quinn one. That one didn't work for me so much. But I believe I've given positive reviews to every other single one because they work for me. I like them. Even the theatrical Justice League. I like that one. I had a lot of fun with that. Even the tri- that that hot mess of a movie, Suicide Squad, the first one. I had fun with it. I make no apologies for that. I had a lot of fun with it. I like Batman versus Superman. I like these movies. But the reality is that a lot of the audience didn't. And it didn't resonate. And the Marvel films do. And that's the key. It's not the formula about which order do you put movies? No, no, it's about just making good movies. Winning cures everything. And winning trumps formula. Great movie trumps formula order of movies. Every time, all day, every day. So that's just kind of my take on that, Windsor, Canada. And God, I I miss being up there, dude. It's been a lot of years since I've had a chance to visit Windsor. I want to get up there again sometime soon. So thanks for writing in from there, man. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, that'll do it for tonight's installment of the companion videos. Thank you so much, guys, for sending in those questions. There are still more questions to go, but we'll get picked up on those on the John Campus Show tomorrow. And I hope all of you guys will come back and join us for the John Campus Show tomorrow morning. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the Dune sequel getting picked up and a number of other things. Hope to see you guys there. In the meantime, guys, thanks so much for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.